What is up? What is up? Welcome to another episode of Stat Stories. I'm Chad Shanks. And I am Justin Kabatko. We are about to see a player average a triple-double in a full season, a feat never again thought possible, and yet he's not a shoe-in for the NBA MVP award in what could ultimately be a case of history repeating. They say no one remembers who comes in second, but that's exactly what we're going to do as we discuss the best seasons that never won the MVP award in episode 23, Second to One. So at the time of this recording, we are about a week and a half away from the end of the 2016-17 NBA season, and we are at what is... Justin, um, what's the percentage that Westbrook finishes with a triple double? Like ninety nine point nine at this point. Like he'd have to. Oh, it's it's probably higher than that. Yeah. I mean, he's just he just has he to get a few four assists, assists right? something like. At the time we're recording, he yeah. needs like four assists or something like that to guarantee that he cannot he cannot not finish with the triple double. Okay, and yet this is something that ha- hasn't been done since Oscar Robertson, as I'm sure you're well aware, and anyone who's been listening to the. Our episodes this season is probably tired of us harping on this, but we are a podcast dedicated to NBA statistics and the discussions of such. So this is something we're going to talk about. This is something that hasn't been done in decades in our lifetime. So we're going to keep harping on it because it's it's really important and interesting. Dang it. I don't know why I'm getting so defensive over this, but it seems like it's just been the genesis of every conversation we've had, but with good reason. Right. And so you'd think. If you would have told us at the beginning of the season, all right, Westbrook's going to do it. He's going to average a triple-double. We'd be like, all right, well, just give him the MVP trophy. And yet that's not the case because we have James Harden just nipping at his heels, having a season that in any other season would have been a runaway candidate for MVP. And we have people, even on this own very own podcast, who can't agree on who should be the MVP. I think regardless of all the external situations that Westbrook should get it averaging a triple double and the way he's done it coming off of losing Durant that I think it's an easy decision but my my co-host does not agree correct correct but we're not going to have that debate today we're not going to go fully into it but just to say that even among even among us there is disagreement in this so it's time to we wanted to kind of like step back and look at some of the great instances that did not win the MVP award because regardless of which way this goes, a very deserving season is not going to get a trophy for it. Uh, Either Westbrook or Harden is going to put up a historically great season, but only one of them can win. Unless you go into the whole they should win co-MVPs, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think, don't don't take that route. Make a decision, you know, grow a pair, make a decision, voters. Do you you agree with that? Are you on the board? Would you like them to be co-MVPs? I don't care if they share it. I just don't want it to be rigged in some way, right? I mean, like, if it comes out that they uh, count the ballots and they have the same number of points, fine by me. Just yeah. don't, don't, you know, like I said, don't fix it. Don't, don't do anything to guarantee that they tie Just it. so it's someone's different. feelings don't, don't get hurt. But so the thing that is interesting, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize until just recently, that... Averaging a triple-double in a season does not guarantee you the MVP award. So let's go first to the most pertinent example of a great season not winning the MVP, and that is that Oscar Robertson in 1961-62 averaged a triple-double and did not win the MVP. Um, 
as we discussed in our previous episode that concentrated on triple doubles, they, it wasn't as big of a deal back then. Like, no one was making the huge the t- deal. The term did not exist. Yeah, there was no, no, nobody referred to it as a triple double. Yeah, no one was talking about it like we are now. So it's kind of natural that it was swept under the rug at the time. But what's even crazier is that there was another season, another player that year that did not win the MVP that might have even been better than Oscar Robertson, right? Right, that was Wilt. That was the year Wilt set a record averaging 50 points per game and chipped in about 25 rebounds per game to boot. So, yeah, that's a guy averaging 50 and 25. Yeah, And he didn't win the MVP either. Highest points per game in a season ever. Uh, third highest rebounds in a uh, per game in a season ever. Also, hey, he scored 100 points in a game that season. Uh, also set the record for highest minutes per game ever at 48.5, which I want to ask you about that. How'd that, how'd that happen with him averaging over 48 minutes a game? Were the, come on, think about it, Shanks. Were, the, ga- were it. the games longer then? I don't even know. I honestly don't oh, know. And I didn't look it up. come on. How do you what average? Happens, what happens when a game is overtime? Because they go into yes, overtime so much. because of overtime games. So they went into yes. overtime so much, and he never came out of the game. That That's why he ended up averaging over correct. 48 minutes. Correct, correct, correct. That's crazy. All right. So who then had such a great season that... He was deemed better than both a triple-double and 50-25. That would be the great Bill Russell of the Celtics. And Russell's stats that season were excellent. He averaged about 19 points per game, 24 rebounds per game, almost five assists per game. And his team finished with the best record in the NBA. But if you really take a close look, you know, what he did, while it was impressive, was not nearly at the level of what Chamberlain and Robertson did. Yeah, it's not greatest offensive season ever material. But I think that kind of is what we want to get well, into. Well, let's also let's also say there that I mean offense was not Russell's calling card, right? It was his defense. So Yeah, oh, not at all. Um yeah, he was it was he's what arguably one of the best defensive presence all time and that's what I, I think most people would say the best. Yeah. So I think it kind of get into a little bit about how the MVP is chosen and what actually goes into it, right? So how how was Wilt Chamberlain or Oscar Rob- I mean, that, that's what's so crazy that, all right, Oscar Robinson is, we've deified that season so much, um, especially now with what Westbrook is doing. But it was deemed by the voters at that time to be the third best in just that season. Um, so what do you... What do you think personally is the reason why Bill Russell won it that year? Because first of all, you're using the word best, and that's not always how people say they interpret MVP. That's right? a good they, point. They don't, that's a good point. They they always say you know some people will say it's the best player. Period. Other people will say it's the player who was quote unquote most valuable to his team, whatever that means, and they kind of torture that definition to fit their argument. I think at some at sometimes. Um, I just think that it goes back to the mindset of the MVP should be the best player in the best team. And the Celtics were, you know, the best team in the NBA that season. They went 60 and 20. Um, And Chamberlain's team won 11 fewer games and Robertson's team won 17 fewer games. And I think that played a huge role in this. Yeah. And I think that the, the winning aspect was the, was the biggest thing because 
people didn't pour over stats back then like like we do now. It wasn't taken into consideration as much. Like the radio version of stat stories in 1961 would have been like really really short and simple. Would have been like, ah, well, the Celtics won the game. That's all that matters, folks. Would have been just been over. That's it. Because Wilt, even though he put up all the points and stuff, he was branded a loser because of how many times um, early on the Celtics just dominated them in the playoffs. And so they talk about that in this clip we found in an ESPN Classic documentary. From the start, Will Chamberlain's pro career is marred by near misses in playoff competition. Year after year, his teams come up short against the powerful Boston Celtics. In his first seven seasons, Chamberlain's teams lose five playoffs to Boston. Although he is the NBA's top scorer and rebounder, Chamberlain is branded a loser by the press and is widely blamed for his team's repeated failures. When you lose to the same team, like Boston, and they have a great center like Russell, uh, they tend sometimes to point fingers and say, hey, you know what, you lost because uh, he was better than you. Although, to be fair, I, I don't know if that mindset existed at this point. I mean, this was, what, Wilt's third season in the NBA? Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't know if that narrative had fully developed yet, where Wilt is the quote-unquote loser and Russell is the winner. Yeah. But even like Wilt himself said in that same documentary that that he was a better player but Russell was on better teams. And so that kind of had, that was the mindset going into it that could have influenced the, the voting. Russell, as I said, uh, had a lot of pluses going for him, you know, uh, because he had one job to do and one job only. I had several that I had to do. I right. had to score at times, to the rear rebound, to play right. defense. And, uh, you know, I did it the best I, I could. I think that uh, most of my teams did the best they could. I think the Boston teams were just better. The coaching was just, was just, just better. So, therefore, they won the big ones. The team was better, but it does not necessarily mean that one individual was better than the other. Oh, no. I don't, I don't think, as far as individual talent goes, that Russell uh, even come, comes close. Another thing to keep in mind, too, is that at the time, so the MVP award didn't exist until 1956. That was the first season they, they, they um, gave out the award. And from that season until through 1980, the players actually voted on the award. And from what I've read, what I've heard, Chamberlain was not an extremely popular player among his peers. Whereas Russell was extremely well-respected and extremely well-liked. Yeah. And um, Russell himself even said there's there this NBA TV special where he and, um, he and Wilt were sitting down and talking about comparing their careers and stuff. And Russell kind of threw a little bit of shade like right in front of Wilt, even though the two were good, noted to be good friends at the time and even into later in life. But Russell talked about his legacy of making his teammates better. And here's what he said. How often did you have the better team and he still won? More often than not, the Celtics were better. That's one thing that I have a quarrel with. I have better players because I personally work with them to make them better players. I did things physically, emotionally, and intellectually with, to my teammates to make them better players. It wasn't just out there, I walked out there and, and I got these guys and these guys and they were doing all this. Yeah, yeah, they were great. They took advantage of the situation. But the, the situation was part of my creation. And so whereas on the other hand, um, Wilt was obsessed with records, or so it was so he was accused of. Um, 
I don't know if you've read this or not. I didn't, I didn't ask you beforehand, but you know, um, Bill Russell, I mean, um, Bill Simmons, there's too many uh, similar names going flying around right now, but Bill Simmons uh, basketball book, whatever it was called, the, the big one, um, he has a whole chapter dedicated on the Russell versus Wilt argument. Can you guess which side Bill Simmons came down on? Let's see. He used to be called the Boston sports guy. So I'm going to yeah. go out on a limb and say it was Mr. Russell. Yeah, so he had, co- he had like collected every quote he could find about how what a selfish player Wilt Chamberlain is and how that he was only obsessed with records and how like after he saw that he didn't have the assists record, he went for it in that one season that he led the league in assists, that he was, he was obsessed with it. And um, a lot of people have... Um, have their issues with what Bill Simmons has said in that book. But even like Wilt himself, I found this clip of him promoting a book in 1997 on Conan, where he talked about his love for records. And even even right two years before he died, he was going for a rather obscure record. I'll just add you that. also, you like to water ski at great speeds. Yeah, I tried for the quarter mile uh, water ski speed record at 126 miles an hour it was. You know, in you, well, you can't water ski 125 miles an hour. Well, I can, and I, and I did. You gotta have big feet, man. You know what I'm saying? You know, it, it, it helps out. You right? didn't use skis? <laughs> well, no, I use I use skis. In fact, I don't, I don't even have you big feet. You did 125 miles. I, I would just love to see the old fisherman now sitting on the dock. And yeah, right, oh, that's exactly right. I yeah. think that was Will Chamberlain. Wow. <laughs> I, I would pay. I would pay to see Wilt on water skis. Yeah, I think I, I would. would. Yeah, I would too. I, there was I could not find that on YouTube, but um, so just to kind of belabor the point just a little bit more, um, there's this ESPN documentary where um, Lenny Wilkins uh, is quoted saying that Russell used Wilt's um, desire to pad his stats or to you know make be the highest score. He used that against him. So here's what he said. Russell was a master of psychology. He knew exactly what he was doing all the time, you know, and he used that. Russell would let Wilt score. Wilt's teammates would stand there and watch Wilt score. They'd never be involved. And then he'd shut Wilt down, and now this time the other guys are cold. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of that I believe. That sounds like a, a good story to, to make up after the fact. Yeah, maybe it might be a little bit of revisionist history, but it does kind of echo to the fact of how how these players were viewed at the time by their peers. And to me, I think that is, <clears throat> excuse me, especially with what you mentioned about the players voting on the awards at that time, it it makes more sense to me at how Bill Russell could have won that MVP given the environment. I mean, do you? Do you agree with me on that? Is are you as strong on that boat as I am saying that the players voted for Russell because he was a winner and he was a team first kind of guy to use some cliches? And yeah, I think that was the factor. And also, I think the other thing I mentioned was a factor where that that is that Wilt was not a particularly popular player amongst his peers. It's still kind of crazy to say that. You can average 50 points a game and 25 rebounds and not win the MVP. But let's let's take a step back a little bit before we talk about some more situations like that, some more great seasons that weren't awarded. Let's go a little bit deeper just into what you were talking about, about how the MVP is chosen. So you said the players used to vote on that, but how, when and how did that change to what we have today? Yeah, so like I said, so 1956 is when it was first awarded. And then for the first 25 years, the, the players voted on it. So through 1980, 
And then starting in 81, all the way to present day, the writers and broadcasters have voted. So a change in, in the in the voting process. And there were, you know, there's also been some changes in terms of how many votes you can cast. So for example, in a number of seasons, there was only one vote per ballot. So in other words, you would vote for your MVP period, put no other names on the ballot. And that happened in 56, 57, 65, and then 77 through 80. So um, yeah, I mean, you list one name in your ballot and that's it. Uh, first, second, and third place votes were given out from 58 to 64, and then 66 to 76. And then starting in 1981, they used the current system of you have five spots in your ballot, one through five, and you rank your players. And then they've, they actually made a couple of changes recently. In 2014, they actually made all ballots public. So after the uh, results or after the uh, winners were announced, they would release the results and they had to have the writer and broadcaster names and then who they voted for for each of the awards, which was interesting. And then actually just starting uh, this season, if you are a radio or a TV broadcaster or a writer who works for your t a team's website, you are no longer eligible to vote. Yeah, because of conflict of, of interest, which I can tell you from experience, that is a very real, real thing. I remember when I was working for the Rockets and they started making the votes public and we knew which of the, I didn't have a vote, of course, but we knew which of the team employees did, the team media did. And they got, I heard the story, I'm not going to name names, but I heard the story about one of them getting chastised from the senior management for not placing one of the team's players in a higher spot than he really deserved. Oh, really? It was not the player? It was actually a team executive? It was a team executive because because you think like the I was reading the criticisms of it uh, uh, or not the uh, the reasons why they are taking the vote away from them. And everyone thinks it's to eliminate homerism from um, the broadcasters, which that's true in a sense, but I don't think it's in the sense that a lot of people who don't know how things actually work on the team level, it's not them trying to just promote their the, their own players or because those are the only players that they see on a everyday basis or something like that. It's because once it comes out, it's the, the people who's their boss, the, the people who sign their check are like, why the hell didn't you vote for, for our guy? And... Um, <clears throat> Or you do have the awkward situation of being on the bus with the guy that you maybe your vote cost the MVP and you have to get him for post-game interviews and he can shun you. Um, you're like, oh, players wouldn't be that petty. Yes, they would. And yes, they are. I promise you they are. Um, yeah, but it's also interesting. I think the with this year going into it, there are like different contract stipulations on it too, right? So if players get certain percentages of MVP votes or whatever, it can trigger trigger different bonuses in their in their contracts, or it can trigger like what their uh, possible salary cap is or max contract is for future contracts. So there's also like some issues with if let's say I, i'm making this up completely but as a, just a hypothetical let's say well like, no there's, there's actually a good example we don't need a hypothetical paul george is a good example this season if paul george makes one of the all nba teams first second or third team he is eligible for a huge increase yeah so if, if, the pace, if he yeah. doesn't if he doesn't he's not going to be, get that increase yeah so, so the pacers that, that's, don't want to pay a him big big thing yeah pacers don't want to pay him they tell the two, three guys, however many they have on their payroll, hey, 
don't don't vote for him. Even if you, it, they would not. They I'm just saying. Do that. I'm not saying it will happen or it, there's any history of it happened. But I'm just saying you got to remove any any suspicion of that. But um, teams also, the NBA voting is they try to bribe voters. Like you've probably seen this on um, Twitter and stuff every time around awards season that teams will send out those like uh, swag packs and gift boxes to voters. Like have you seen all this stuff? I've never heard about it with the NBA. I've heard about it like in uh, in college football with the Heisman Trophy. Like school school SIDs will be se- will send out information packets and and you know little trinkets um, that promote their their candidate. But no, I've never heard about this in the NBA. No, the NBA is shameless about it. Um, like I remember one year the Hornets were trying to uh, promote Al Jefferson and sent a can of paint that they had put a custom label with his face on it. Like, oh, he dominates the paint. And they mailed this to people. And I remember with the Rockets every year, that was a huge, huge deal. Like coming from the very tops that we had to send out these things to voters. And we sent out, um, one of our designers made this actually pretty cool, like beard grooming kit that was designed to look like an old timey barbershop thing. And they sent it to people and they're supposed to open it and say, um, oh, Look how cool this is. I guess I do think James Harden is the MVP now. But most importantly, it's because you know they're going to tweet a picture of it. You send it to people and they tweet a picture of it and it goes around and it's just more free marketing for you. But it's just goes to the kind of, it's not a pure voting process, right? It's incredibly subjective, right? They're not going down and like checking these boxes and saying, like figuring it out based on uh, some kind of formula, right? It's just who the voter thinks is the MVP, and they could well, no, think I, that I th- for I think you're being a, a number flippant. of reasons. No, I think you're being a little flippant here. I, I, I don't think, think I'm being flippant. I think it is incredibly subjective, and that's the reason no, why no, no, no. I, I we're still having this debate. No, I agree. It's, it's subjective. What I don't agree with is that like they don't take this process seriously and think very hard about who they want to vote for. You're making it sound like they're just like, you know, getting naming names off the top of their head. And I don't think it's that way at all. I think most of the writers and broadcasters who vote take it very seriously and will spend time doing research. Now, they, you may not agree with the results of their research and you may not agree with the reasons they use uh, for defending their votes, but I do think they take it seriously and I don't think it's just something they do, you know, sort of half-assed. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, you can't argue that it, the way the process is, it does open the door very much for outlying opinions or things like that. Like you had, um, what was that one year when um, LeBron came one vote short of being unanimous? And Yeah, some, it was some like, I think it was Gary Washburn voted for Carmelo Anthony that year, I believe. Yeah. I think that's the one you're talking Something about. Something like that. And like... And anytime since it's become public, or they, I think it was before it was public, he actually admitted that it was him. Yeah, he actually wrote. He actually wrote an article about why he voted for Carmelo, which yeah. made zero sense. But yeah. at least he, at yeah. least he came it made out zero and sense. It. So, it, all right. So, all right. I see what you're saying. All right. I, I will change my critique, and I will say that it's it's not that they're just making crap up, or they're they don't do their due diligence like Oscar voters who you know they didn't all watch Moonlight. You're gonna tell me all you sat down and watched Moonlight and La La Land and whatever else like i don't think they watch all these movies but i don't i don't think it's like that level of ignorance on their part but it introduces their own opinion like washburn's opinion is introduced into there and even if no one shares it 
it can the way that the voting is set up, it can really affect the votes. I th- and I think one thing they do is that they have a candidate in mind and then they go in search of evidence in su- that supports that candidate rather than starting with the question, okay, who really should be MVP? And then looking at all the evidence that's been accumulated, right? They yeah. pick out the guy beforehand and then they kind of cherry pick stats that support their argument. I don't, I don't like that. Um, I, I wish they would go into it you know, more with an open mind and say, okay, let's just, let's take a look at all the information that's out there. And I'm not going to make up my mind beforehand. I'm going to look at everything. And then from that, I'm going to make a decision. It's like that famous saying, you know, a lot of people use statistics like a drunk uses a lamppost for support rather than illumination. Yeah, that's it. That sounds like me every night uh, (laughs) putting out stat news tweets. Not really. I don't do that. Do I? Sometimes. Let's be honest. But we've talked about that in past episodes. Like some stats, some stats are just fun and meaningless. Some stats really do uh, illustrate how uh, how well a player or a team performed, and that's kind of what we're seeing right now with Westbrook and Harden. That um, Westbrook's stats are just on another level, but Harden's team is performing better, and blah blah blah. We're no, well, first it. of all, I th- your first statement, yes, Westbrook's stats are amazing. Harden is right there with him. Yeah, you're it's, just it's, focusing on the triple double, but you're not like you're not looking at the complete picture. So yeah. let's not be unfair to Harden. It, this but, is not simply because Harden is on the better team. Yeah, but if same stats and the Thunder are the three seed and the Rockets are the six seed, six seed, I don't think we have a debate at all. I would still well, my choice wouldn't change if you switch their records. And I think if the, you switch... And, and, and everything else remained the same in terms of like what Harden's done and what Westbrook has done. And if you switch what was happening with uh, Harden, if Harden's averaging a triple-double, but the Rockets are the sixth seed and he's doing it very efficiently, Rockets fans and, and a certain general manager and stuff like that would be harping on that the triple-double thing is the most important. That's, again, going back to the, just the incredibly subjective nature of it. And I'm just saying that... I don't know of a better uh, a better solution. I don't think we should switch to computers, you know, picking things based on algorithms or anything like that. You're always going to have the subjective nature going to any human voting in any way, shape, or form. But um, yeah, it it plays into it, right? That sometimes the best season doesn't get picked for whatever reason, and that's what we're trying to figure out here. Is let's look at some more seasons let's look at some more issues where there was up to debate and try to figure out all right why did this happen why did this player or these players not win mvp in a given year are you ready to move on to go into some more some more issues and or am i rambling too much to where i've cut off any other points you'd like to make well you are rambling too much but i'd like to continue you're used to that by now you're used to that i've done the research and i want to talk about the research that i've done so let's move on actually let's move on to about uh, you know 11 years later, 1973, and there's a guy whose name has come up quite often this season, Nate Tiny Archibald, right? Because of the way Harden is scoring and, and, and accumulating assists. So Archibald in 72-73 in was the first player ever to lead the NBA in scoring and assists, and he's the only player ever to do that. And he was not named MVP that season. The MVP was Dave Cowens um, of the Celtics. Now, in my mind, this was possibly the worst MVP selection ever. The um, worst. The worst. And actually, I would not have given it to Archibald. 
I would have given it to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah, another um, another baffling three-man race. Exactly. Now, so Archibald, I mean, looking back at what happened that season, I, I understand why they didn't give Archibald the award. His team finished below 500. They were 36 and 46. And so, you know, in the entire history of the MVP award, I think there's only been two cases where a player finished on a sub-500 team, and it was like Bob Pettit and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And only once has a player, as an MVP, been on a team that did not make the playoffs. So, you know, giving it to Archibald that season would have defied history, basically. So I understand that. But Jabbar, I just don't understand. Um, so the Bucks were 60-22 and 22 that season. Now the Celtics were 68-14. and 14. What I think happened was Celtics kind of unexpectedly win 68 games. And the voters just decided, well, we've got to give it to somebody from the Celtics. Yeah. And for some reason, they focused on Cowens. But like... If you look at Jabbar's stats versus Cowan's stats, it is just a total mismatch. And actually, the All-NBA voters agreed because the first-team All-NBA center was Jabbar, and Cowan's was second-team. So okay. MVP <laughs> didn't even sense. make first-team All-NBA. That doesn't make sense. And, uh, yeah, I was looking up that season on StatMuse and saw that uh, Kareem that season is the last player to finish a season with a 30-15-5 average. And the only ones... Others that did it were Wilt, who did it twice, and he won the MVP both times, and Elgin Baylor once. So yeah, next level uh, stats. But hey, good old Dave Cowens. And is it was I mean, does the old adage hold th- hold true that season with uh, Dave Cowens just giving it to the best player on the team with the best record? I mean, is that was he even the best on the Celtics that year? Actually, that's that's what's funny. I was gonna bring that up. I would probably argue that John Havlicek was the best. Yeah, player like, the what do you know about? I, like, I don't know crap about Dave Dave Cowens. Like, how many casual fans can just rattle off? Well, no, no, the let's not. Let's Dave not. He was a good player, right? Dave Cowens. He was a good player, right? Player, Hall of Fame player. But you're trying to say, like, comparing? You say, all right, rank these players: Kareem Havlicek, Nate Archibald, Dave Cowens. I mean, you're, what what order is Dave Cowens going to come in every single time, right? Right, but I mean, so and we're just but we're just focusing on one season here, and like, but, I, hey, I think first so, of all, I think... if I want if I want to crap on Dave Cowens, I could crap on Dave Cowens, and it could be completely without warrant and completely without evidence. But that's my right. That's my right as an American to crap on Dave Cowens for winning okay. the MVP, which I've I'm, been told the... was the worst MVP winning of all time. That's what I've heard. Yeah, probably just a few minutes ago, actually. Um, yeah, no, I, so getting us back on track here, you trying to derail us as usual. I, I think that there were two things here. One is that, you know, that whole uh, mindset that the MVP should be the best player in the best team. Celtics were the best team by eight games that season. Therefore, they should have the MVP. And I also think that there's sort of this uh, this thing going on where the voters love a good narrative, and Jabbar had been MVP the previous season. And Cowens was kind of then the better story that particular season. And, and it actually reminds me of a lot of Nash's MVPs. Like yeah. Steve Nash, I don't think should have won either MVP. But especially in his first season, like it was just a great narrative, right? He comes to Phoenix and all of a sudden they're this fun and exciting team to watch. And they're winning games. And I think that's what happened this season. You know, the Celtics kind of came out of nowhere to win 68 games and 
Cowens took a step forward in terms of his development as a player. And, you know, it was, like I said, just a better narrative. Jabbar was just kind of the boring narrative. Yeah, he was MVP last season. He's an awesome player, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I think I think that played a big part in it. I, know, I agree with you there. And the, the Nash MVPs, especially were at a time when um, he, he was competing mostly with, like, Kobe those years, right? And that was at a time where the NBA wasn't really back on board with the whole let's uh let's promote kobe and uh make him the face of the the uh of the league again because that was a, just kobe i mean you had Shaq, you had garnett you had duncan i mean you had mcgrady you know there were lots of players great players in their prime at that time yeah and um one quick i don't think this is one of the greatest uh mvp snubs ever but you mentioned um garnett like his 2002 2003 season was insane like his scoring rebounding assist totals like the only player that had hit those marks before was was wilt chamberlain right and then yeah, was duncan he was, was mvp so, that season right yeah and he was so good he led his team in points rebounds assists blocks steals and to a then franchise record um 51 games did everything on both ends of the court uh but Tim duncan won the mvp because uh, i mean and sh- it's, and tim, have. it's tim duncan it's hard to I, I don't know what bad I could say about Tim Duncan that doesn't have to do with his jean shorts. But uh, going back to another connection that I think is one of the one of the bigger snubs that maybe I don't know where I'd rank it, but I put it kind of up there. Just the uh, the triple double connection again, kind of a warning to uh, Westbrook fans that um, averaging a triple double or coming really close does not guarantee you an MVP award. So the uh, the closest that anyone came to averaging a triple double in a season, but in the 50, what is it 52, 53 year gap between Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook today was Magic Johnson in 81, 82. So he had 18 points, nine point something rebounds and nine and a half assists a game. So he was the only one in that whole time that finished the season uh, points forget about the points, just the only one who finished with over nine rebounds a game and nine assists in a game. And, and where did he finish in the MVP voting that year? Do you know? Uh, I don't remember what place he did. I know Moses Malone was the one that event that got it. What place was he in? Magic was eighth. Yeah, how? <laughs> how? How was he that far? Is it, is, is it really that the, the actual basing everything on numbers and stats is a relatively new thing? Like even in the 80s, were, were they not really looking at at stats at that time i mean i i actually don't think that's a horrible so, so i don't think that's a horrible placement i think he was maybe fourth fifth sixth best player in the nba that year i think moses was was a fine selection well-deserving uh selection you know i think you're putting too much emphasis on the fact that he came close to averaging a triple double and you look at moses and that season he's averaging what was it like? Thirty-one points a game, fifteen rebounds per oh, game. He had a monster year, monster, monster. 14, year. Yeah, a monster. Year. Like so, I think like the the points per game and rebound per game, uh, rebounds per game combination. We haven't seen that since actually in any season since then. And you know, so and he's possibly the greatest offensive rebounder of all time. He was incredible at drawing fouls. I mean, he every season he was averaging ten free throw attempts per game. So he's. He's getting to the line. He's scoring points efficiently. He's always getting his counterpart in foul trouble. Uh, the Rockets, those teams were not great teams. Moses, though, made them very respectable teams. And, yeah. and so I don't, like I said, I think you're putting too much emphasis on the fact that 
you know, magic average 19.99 or whatever, 18.99 or whatever it was. Um, Moses to me, what that that was not a bad selection at all. That yeah. that was the right, that was the correct uh, selection that year. And it's easy to look back, kind of revisionist wise, and see that the Lakers won the title that year, and Magic won Finals MVP, and kind of like solidified his place as, you know, as one of the game's greats. But we have to keep in mind that it is a regular season award, and so it's easy to look back on. Um, with Russell and Chamberlain and say, well, Russell always eliminated Chamberlain in the playoffs. And that shouldn't necessarily, that wasn't a factor, right? Like we don't know, like for this year, if the Rockets and the Thunder meet in the playoffs and whichever team wins, like that's not going to affect the MVP voting because the votes would have already been, been cast, but it does go to the fact like how much winning equals MVP like there's there's just no way around it and so I think you've Justin maybe I'm kind of putting you on the spot here because it just came to me but I know you've kind of gone in on your opinion stated your opinion about how you don't necessarily think that a player's individual performance or whether or not he's MVP should completely be contingent on how well his team does right am I making that up or haven't you you said no, no, that not a lot? no that's that's correct I would say that if two players are close that team success is a reasonable tiebreaker to use. But if there is what I would call a large statistical gap between two players, then to me, how their teams finished really shouldn't come into play. Yeah, but it's maybe it's just a coincidence, maybe not, but I think it's something since, I think Moses Malone um, was the last player to win MVP where his team was seeded lower than sixth, right? Am I making that up? Um, but see, I think I think that's a good example. Like I think Moses was clearly the best player in the league that season, and so therefore, the fact that his team was seated sixth or seventh or whatever—I don't know what they were—whatever they were, should be irrelevant. Yeah, but that's—I mean—that's the big knock against Westbrook this year. And you look at um, like one pass situation I saw was um, looking at. Trace. Okay, but this this is not—I don't think Westbrook is analogous. To Malone because I don't think you can say that Westbrook is clearly the best player in the NBA this season. In fact, I would argue that Harden is the best player. In the well, NBA yeah, this we've season. heard your opinion so, on this, but I'm just saying. No, no, but, but, but you know what I'm saying. No. I th- you're not. You're not. You're comparing it to like 81, 82, when to me it's not the same. Moses clearly the best that season. Russell is not clearly the best this season, in my opinion. Okay. Well, what do you think about a situation like um, again putting you on the the spot? You may not have done the research on this, but just off the top of your head. Like Tracy McGrady's 0203 season, right? Where actually, he... let me let me give you another season. Actually, though. Okay. You don't want to hear about Eight... T Mac? Let me. Let... You want to hear? All about right, go ahead. Tell me about T Mac. Go ahead. Thirty-two points a game, six boards, five assists, but the Magic were forty-two and forty, right? They dealt with injuries and stuff like that. Tim Duncan won MVP again. And no, nothing bad to talk about Tim Duncan because they won, they had sixty wins, and but he was at twenty-three. But that, and... 23 Duncan and, was the better 23 and 12 player that year. Period. Yeah. But you just like but that's, again, that's so, so we're getting into subject like of how you how are you defining better? I mean, that I think I guess that that's the the core of the entire argument that we're having here. How do you define better? When I'm looking at Tracy McGrady's stats just on the surface level, of course, looking back now, we're so much more impressive than what Duncan did, but hey, his team won 18 more games or whatever it was but you gotta yeah. dig, i mean you have to dig deeper than just looking at points rebounds and assists right i mean you gotta look at things like how did he get those points how did he get those rebounds how did he get those assists you know how does he shoot 
Is he a good defender? All those things matter. Like it, you can't just look at a, a you know a slash line and, and say, oh, that's the MVP. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, so give me a good example of someone who meets your high Kabatko levels that did did all these things and did not win an MVP. To me, it was uh, 1988-89, Michael Jordan. Um, clearly the best player in the NBA that season statistically and was not MVP. He averaged 32 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists a game, almost 3 steals a game. Shot 54% from the field, 85% from the line. So it's something like he checks all the boxes because he's he's accumulating a lot of statistics, but he's also doing so efficiently. He's considered one of the best defensive guards in the NBA. Um, but unfortunately, he just had a reputation at the time as being a guy who put up big stats for mediocre teams. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and and, late 80s Jordan was just a stat machine. Like, we remember the, the 90s championship Jordan, and I'm sure you'd rather choose that Jordan any day, but 80s Jordan, late 80s Jordan, put up some absolutely insane seasons. And yet, I mean, you look back, like they weren't, the Bulls weren't a bad team. They were 47 and 35 that season, which was ninth in the NBA. So not a great team, but they're a solid team. They're a good team. But Magic was MVP that season. Lakers went 57 and 25, finished second in the NBA, second best record in the NBA. So to me, that played a big part in it. Lakers were coming off of back to back championships which probably played a role in it. Um, Lakers won the Western Conference. That pl- probably played a role in it. And so, yeah, Magic had a great season. I mean, he averages like 23 points, 8 rebounds, 13 assists, and does it efficiently. He's a good player. He's a great player. But to me, there was a sizable gap between the two. And the only reason Magic won MVP was because his he was on the better team, period. Yeah, seems to be a, um, a running theme here. You look back at these ones we've discussed, you know, Russell winning and Cowens winning and Magic winning. And all three cases, I think it's pretty clear that even though they weren't statistically the best player in the league that season, they were the best player in the best team. And that was the overwhelming uh, criteria used for selection. Yeah. And I think if like another season that pops in mind to me is like um, Chris Paul in 08-09 where the they did not have a good record at all but he put up an insane season like the only player to average 20 points a game while hitting the uh, assist rebounds and steals mark had like the highest per ever by a point guard until Steph uh, broke it in his MVP second MVP season and then uh, Russ is breaking it this year but then his 18.3 win shares still the highest by a guard ever in a season, but LeBron won the MVP. Yeah, yeah I was that gonna year. say LeBron won MVP that yeah. year, and there's absolutely no way you can argue that he wasn't. So yeah, but you think? Too I mean, bad. too bad, too bad, Chris. But someone puts up an insane season. Just an example of someone putting up an insane, historically great, amazing season. But you do it for a bad team, and it just kind of gets swept under the rug, and you and, and you forget about it. It wasn't a bad team. They won what, forty nine games or something like that. Um, not a bad team. And to me, he should have been second in the MVP voting that year, but I think he was fifth. You bringing up Chris Paul actually reminds me of another season I wanted to discuss. And this is another guy who kind of checked lots of statistical boxes. And that was uh, David Robinson, 93-94. And we actually talked a little bit about this season last podcast, if you remember. Because that was when he was in the uh, scoring battle with Shaquille O'Neal. And ended up scoring 71 points on the final day of the season. 
to win the scoring title. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, shameless plug, go back and listen to it. Um, you can you can hear about uh, David Robinson's seventy point game and uh, some other players who uh, got a little help from their friends in scoring in big scoring games. Anyway, back to Robinson. So yeah, Robinson that season was kind of locked in a duel with Akeem Olajuwon, and of course you know now sort of the narrative is that Robinson was always the guy who would put up big stats during the regular season, and then Akeem would always get the best of them in the playoffs. Um, so anyway, I think there were so that season Robinson was incredible, almost 30 points a game, almost 11 rebounds per game, almost five assists per game, almost two steals per game, over three blocks per game. So like I said, he's just you know checking lots of statistical boxes. Uh, Olajuwon was not chopped liver that season. 27 points, 12 rebounds, three and a half assists, one and a half steals, three and a half blocks. So they had very similar stat lines. To me, the big factors, and I, I think personally that Robinson was a better player that season but I think the big factors in the voting that year were first of all the Rockets beat out the Spurs for the Midwest division title they were in the same division Rockets won the division so I think that mattered to the voters and second is that um, a lot of people felt that Akeem had an incredible season the previous season and maybe there was sort of uh, thinking at that time that okay now it's Akeem's turn to win one yeah, that the the narrative factor that you kind of mentioned uh, earlier. Yeah, that ninety two ninety three season, Akeem, I mean, arguably was better statistically. I mean, he hit some marks that were pretty incredible. Like the only player with twenty five points and uh, four blocks per game in a season since blocks You're were talking recorded about the, the alongside. Season, right? um, yeah, alongside uh, Kareem. He and Kareem are the only ones that had ever had ever done that. And the Rockets went from missing the playoffs the previous year to the two seed. But then the next, the ne- Barkley won the MVP that year. But then the next year, yeah, that was when the Rockets had like the 15 and one start or whatever it was and had the number one seed in the West and stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of tough. I mean, David Robinson eventually uh, got, he got the MVP the following year, right? So it would have Correct. been like another issue of just kind of, Maybe rewarding the player who's who's good for two consecutive seasons. Yeah, now it's this guy's turn. Yeah, yeah now it's now now it's his turn. And then of course Akeem got the best of them in the playoffs, as as we've seen. Um, yeah. So again, it's, I mean, there's there's definitely a theme, like I've said, to what what we're talking about. And before before I get into like getting your over, if like your put a bow on an opinion, let's. I want to hear if you had to rank all right, your top three biggest uh or best seasons by a non-mvp winner how would you rank them yeah and just to be clear these are not the biggest snubs these are just the best seasons by a player who did not win mvp yeah so i would go number three david robinson who we just discussed number two wilt chamberlain in 61 62 number one michael jordan 88 89 i think i would probably go Number three, I could put a number of people in, but I think maybe go with Kareem's 72-73 season just because of how uh, next level it was in multiple stats. Um, and then I'd probably go Jordan 88-89-2 and then Wilt number one. Even even if you adjust Wilt's season for current day pace and stuff like that, it was still just, come on, 50 and 25. Oh, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So I did this. So that, that I actually did that to kind of help me out a little bit. Yeah. So, so let, let's let's do that, right? Let's, so let's take Wilt's season and adjust it a little bit because 
like you said, the pace of play was so much faster back then. And so if you take his points and rebounds per game and translate them to current day, and I'm just going to do a simple thing. So pace of play was about 20 to 25% faster that back or yeah, back then. And I'm just going to, so take that off of his numbers. If you do that, you get down to 38 points, 20 rebounds per game. Still incredible, right? Yeah. But he's also playing 48 and a half minutes per game. You know how many players do that nowadays? Zero. They don't. Like, I think the league leader this season is around 38 minutes per game. So let's scale him back to that. Then you're down to 30 points, 15 rebounds per game. That's incredible. Still right? incredible. Still, yeah. Still incredible. Uh, but, you know, doesn't have quite the same ring as 50 points and 25 rebounds per game. No, definitely not. Now, let's, it, let's, let's, let's go to Jordan. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it. So let's go to Jordan. Let's take his. So Jordan averaged like 32 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists that season. But pace of play was much, much slower than it was in the 60s. If you put him back in that time, and this is just a simple thing where I'm just going to increase his stats by a certain percentage. It's, you know, you probably want to do it more. Probably want to do something more complicated if you really wanted to do this. But let's just make that simple adjustment. You're up to 40 points, 10 rebounds, and 10 assists per game. Ooh. Damn! Yeah. Yeah, that would be a great Doctor Who episode, right? Doctor Who just takes Michael Jordan back into the 60s and just lets him just whoop ass on everyone. That would be great. That, I always get into this. Uh, we're getting a little sidetracked, but always yeah, yeah, yeah. like hearing all the old players talking about um, how much they would whoop up on these new guys. Oh, these new, the, the Warriors would never, couldn't hold the floor with us. I'm like, bull crap <laughs> bull crap they would they would slaughter you guys it's just a product of the times right players being more athletic better equipment all the those kinds of things i mean do you agree with that very no, just every, very general every, statement like the the new teams would no, just everything, slaughter everything the old teams. everything is better right doctors lawyers you know engineers athletes etc everybody is better than they were you know, yeah, and I don't. Their counterparts were back in the '60s. I don't get why old old school players are like that. As a pride thing, I guess like you should. It, it's kind of like a. I mean, I'm not a parent yet, but you're a parent. Like you, you want your kid's life to be better than your life, right? You want to take like all the advancements that you that you made, all your accomplishments, and pass them on to your kids so they can build on it, right? So like the old, right. yeah. No, I want them to be more successful than I am. Absolutely. Yeah. So these old players like that you should take solace and hey the nba is more popular than it's ever been and a huge 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 reason for that is what you guys did but anyway that, that could be another episode almost entirely but if you could wrap do you have like an overarching overarching opinion of why a player is voted mvp like the more that we're talking about it if i had to just sim simply boil it down to one thing that that stereotype of the the best player on the best team or the highest scorer on the best team, like that adage really seems to hold true. And I think the problem with this season is you have your two best statistical players coming from teams who like the Rockets are a good team this year, but they're not the the absolute best team. So I think that's why we're having a little bit of problem and that Russ is doing something no one's ever done before while not winning a lot of games. Well, the Rockets in all fairness, have the third best record in the NBA. Yeah, but it, 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 that's that's not, that's fine. That's, you know, I'm that's, not saying that's, I'm not saying they're bad. I, like this is one instance where I'm going to give them the the credit that that's due them. But it's 
let's if Steph was having another season like he did last season with the Warriors being in first place, he'd be getting more love than he is. If Kawhi Leonard, um, I think if Kawhi Leonard spoke more, I don't think it has anything to do with his stats. I think if Kawhi just like showed that he had a personality, he may be getting more. But I think that's why Kawhi is getting the talk that he is. Not that it's not deserved, but because his team is doing so well. And I think that's why we don't have that unanimous feeling um, like there has been last year and even close to unanimous in years past because no one this season really fits that mold that has been used to choose MVPs for the last like 25, 30 years. And I know that's an overgeneralization. There are, of course, always exceptions to the rule, but it, it seems from what the research I've done and what we've talked about that it really holds fast that you just look at the best player, the be- the best scorer, really, on the best team that season. Or I think maybe a good way to sum all this up is these seasons where you've seen sort of strange selections, what they've done is selected the best player with the best story. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe I should just say a very good to excellent player with the best story. Yeah. I still think Westbrook is going to get it this season, especially with... The last couple of weeks, how he's winding down, just taking it to another level. Um, but if he and doesn't, would check the best narrative box, right? Yeah, yeah. Losing Durant and like having to carry the team on his own. There's the, the narrative is built in. But you say Harden, you know, overcame all of his gossipy stuff with the Kardashians and the Dwight and Mikhail drama. I mean, that's there too. But the, regardless of what happens, a great, great season is going to be left out probably and as we've seen our whole point here is that it's not the first time if Westbrook doesn't win it it will literally be a case of history repeating Um, there's nothing new under the sun blah 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 all that all that good kind of stuff so in conclusion thank you very much for listening to this episode if you downloaded us on iTunes or Google Play be sure to check out our blog at blog.statmuse.com we're going to have some examples of the StatMuse questions we asked and the results that we got so you can browse through those Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Tell your friends about us. We want some more listeners. We're both very vain and just in desperate need of other people's attention. But you, we love you. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Stat Stories.